2: If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, virtual consumer editor at KMOX Radio. I'm joined by author and media literacy expert, Julie Smith.
0: In this episode... My loss was bigger than your loss. I lost a child and you lost your parent. That's different or my loss was really traumatic. This was a car crash with a drunk driver and yours was a death from old age. And so we get into this strange competition like Grief Olympics. We're talking about grieving online.
2: For some generations or cultures, the idea of making your grief public may be very uncomfortable. But like with so many things, the Internet and social media platforms have created an outlet for people to express and explore grief. You may learn of someone's passing through a Facebook post. Influencers are using online stories to explore their own grief process. There are community-organized grief support groups on social media platforms. And then we have situations involving trauma or violence where victims and their families are often thrust into the spotlight. Dr. Jocelyn DeGroote is a professor and assistant chair in the Department of Applied Communication Studies at Southern Illinois University. She joins us now. Josie, what's caught your attention when it
0: comes to the ways that you see people express their grief online? Only the medium has changed. People have been expressing their grief um, talking to or at or with, I don't know what prepositional phrase to use even now, um, toward the deceased, and they've done that before social media, but now it's just that we can see people's grief more publicly, which sort of opens up a broader discussion about grief that's beneficial for grieving in general.
1: Some people use social media as an overly attention-seeking platform, and I wondered how much grieving do you feel that people do online is performative, Josie?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Some is, And sometimes we go to social media because we're used to going to social media for various things. Here's what I had for lunch. I'm having this problem. My kid's doing awesome. Or I'm grieving and this is what I'm used to doing. And so this is how, this is my outlet for grief. But like you said, there is an aspect of that performance. And I think that just depends on the person. You know, if you're performative with everything else, you'll probably be performative with the grief as well. And that might just be a way that you're reaching out saying, hey, I'm having a tough time. And you're letting your Facebook friends and followers know that.
2: And I guess that's one of the things about this type of, of public online grieving is that it does open you up to some judgment and criticism.
0: Definitely. Um, there's something called disenfranchised grief, where if you're grieving maybe you're um, a fair partner, you're not allowed to grieve because you shouldn't have been having that relationship in the first place. And so there's disenfranchised grief for the person, the type of death that they encountered, and even the, the griever themselves, like children and the elderly, we often think that they shouldn't be grieving because they're not, I don't know, uh, the general population. But there's another type of disenfranchised grief where it comes to you're grieving wrong. And so that can be really harmful, but it is helpful in that you're showing people that the grief isn't just a a one week thing. You get triggered every year on the death, maybe on different um, holidays, maybe their birthday, whatever it is. And so it's helpful to other people to say like, grief is not one and done. We don't follow Kubler-Ross's model of grief. And that's what everybody likes to use because it ends with acceptance, right? Right. But that's not what academics, that's not what scientists use um, in terms of a grief model. It just, grief stays with you. It's forever. Um, But yeah, when you are grieving too long, people get uncomfortable. They don't know how to talk to you. They don't know if they should mention it. They wonder if you're being healthy. So yeah, when you're posting things online, you do open yourselves up to a lot of of, uh, criticism.
1: You bring up an interesting point, Josie asking if people grieve too long, and it brings up a question I have about uh, people's Facebook profiles who have been deceased, but we still see them online. What do you what can you tell us about how people react to that? Are there some people that find great comfort in that, or are there some people that want their dece their loved ones' accounts deleted immediately?:
0: Yeah, it goes both ways. Um, sometimes it's hard to see like people you might know and they pop up and you're like, no, they're dead. You know, stop recommending them or it's so-and-so's birthday today. And that might like, oh, to bring you down. But in other instances, you want to celebrate their birthdays. You want to remember that they were physically alive, even though they're um, they're physically dead now, they're, you keep them socially alive by remembering them and talking about them And it might just be that little bit that you need that day to send them a Facebook message or post on their wall. So it it differs from person to person. Some people want that shut down. They want to turn their page into a memorial, which you can do on Facebook. I think you have to submit like the death certificate and then they'll Facebook does that for you. And then it doesn't show up in your people. You might know, Um, but other people want to keep it, keep the Facebook profile just as it was when the person was physically alive. So they can, comment on things, tag them in pictures, wish them happy birthday, that sort of thing.
1: Do you feel like the social media platforms have done a good job responding to the different ways that people grieve online?
0: Yeah, nothing's going to be perfect. And so, like I just said, some people want their Facebook profiles to stay the same, and some people want them changed. And so you can't please everybody all the time. And even if someone's Facebook profile is memorialized by their um, their significant other, or whoever is in charge of those accounts, the other people in their life might be upset that that happened.
2: One of the things that I have noticed as a reporter is when we have incidents of trauma or violence in the community, and we've had so much of that lately, it used to be really taboo uh, in a lot of newsrooms and in newsrooms that I have worked in to approach the families who are grieving and um, you know the, the victims' families But now it seems like a lot of those families are very public with their grief on social media. And so I'm wondering, you know, uh, how should how should we view this? And this it seems like it's something new, maybe just in the past decade that you see more families really using these platforms as a way to kind of tell the story of their grief, really.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Some people are private and they don't want to share that and other people are more public and they want to talk about the trauma they've endured. And if other people can learn from it, then they want people to learn from it. But yeah, some people are like, nope, shut it down. I don't want to answer any questions about it. This is a private family matter. And so, yeah, that differs from person to person as well.
2: Now, along with that, when we have one of these big public traumatic events, what I see as well is and maybe i'm being judgmental but i see complete strangers trying to own that grief that's doesn't you know they weren't there or or maybe they were a distant bystander right. how do we how do we kind of come to grips with that as as other people on these platforms
0: so this is something i've studied previously as well and i call them emotional rubberneckers and <laughs> it sounds negative like rubbernecking we see a car crash we're going to stop and look at it it's one way, it can be good or it can be bad. In one way, it helps people like sort of see what grief is like and feel a little sad, identify with it without being too emotionally invested in that loss. So it's sort of a trial for grief. And then other people just want the attention. They want to say, oh, I knew that person. He was my best friend's teacher's Son's friend, who was a waiter that I saw one time.
1: <laughs> yeah, we like, call <sighs> Josie. We call those people drama magnets. They're just a, they're just attracted to whatever drama is happening.
0: Yeah, they want to be involved. They like yes, exactly.
1: So we've heard of terms like doom scrolling, etc. Is there such yeah. a thing as grief scrolling? Because the the reason I bring that up is that if I get on a platform and I post a lot about my grieving, the algorithm is going to pick that up and most likely give me more grief-centered content, right? Is there Mm -hmm. a way that we can protect ourselves from that?
0: On Facebook, yes. I know you can click the little three dots that are like suggested for you and you can say, show me less of this and it'll eventually learn that. But what you're talking about is, um, they call it grief porn. And this is just people who like to be sad or they like to see other people being sad. And so they search these out and they read the blogs, they follow the Facebook, they join the memorial group, whatever it is. And um, a lot of different reasons for that. Um, Some psychological, some they just want to feel connected, some they want to feel that deep emotion, or just see how people are reacting to this trauma. They're trying to learn somehow. So a lot of different reasons why people do that. Can all of this lead
2: to what, Uh, a lot of people call compassion fatigue. The fact that we are putting so much of this grief out there that really
0: maybe it might be numbing people to the reality of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's so much going on and you just get desensitized to it. And how much more can you see? And and then it also kind of comes to like a grief competition of my loss was bigger than your loss. I lost a child and you lost your... Um, adult parent that's different, or my loss was really traumatic. This was a car crash with a drunk driver, and yours was a death from old age. And so we get into this strange competition, like Grief Olympics situation.
2: I guess that's what's so disturbing to me sometimes is when I see a post, and then I see some of the comments. Oftentimes, it is someone else. Relating their own grief instead of simply maybe passing along condolences. I'm sure sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. So, as the person who's grieving, how do you navigate that or compartmentalize that?
0: You just have to realize some people don't know what to say in that situation. And so they're trying to comment the best way they know how. And that's by relating to your loss in some way. Um, but I, I also did some research with um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Heather Carmack, and we did um, memorable messages after a loss, um, both positive and negative. And so the best thing you can say to someone who's grieving is, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then if you want, what can I do to help you? And the worst thing you can do is um, give advice, make it religious because we don't know what everybody's religions are and what they believe. And a lot of times if you say, Oh, you know, God takes those that he needs. Like, well, my child needs to be with me, not with him. And so you kind of get into this philo- philosophical situation. But the, so you don't know how that person is going to respond. So I, I always recommend staying with the safe. I'm so sorry for your loss. What can I do to help? And I
2: guess a lot of these things, it's not like we've all been the family at a funeral and you've had someone come up. And, and they're they're well-meaning, but they say something and it's just like, oh, that's going to stick with me for a few months, you know. <laughs> and so I guess it just seems to be amplified when it's on social media.
0: Definitely, because then you can go back and reread it and think to yourself, what are they doing? Right. Whereas if it's spoken, it's ephemeral, so it just, you know, comes in and it might stick with you a little bit. But
1: Yeah, but words words on a screen tend to stick. They yeah. really do. Josie, one thing I think that's so interesting about grief, at least that I learned through my own experience and with a grief counselor that helped me years ago, is that everyone grieves differently. Mm -hmm. And there's no right way or wrong way to do it. It's very much like our fingerprints. And the posting on, on social media platforms almost seems to make that more difficult for people to accept because people assume that if you're not grieving the way that they do you're doing it wrong and so even though people can find support online sometimes i wonder if maybe it's just more trouble than it than that it's more of a bug than a feature
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put that no and you're right grief is so unique and individual and one of the problems is we the media has been using the kugler-ross model you know denial anger bargaining whatever and it's so it's nice and neat and you step this you know first step and then you move into this step and then you're done and it's so tidy and so that's what people think it should look like and so when they see someone on social media grieving and it doesn't follow that they're like well you're doing it wrong and but they're not grief is so individual and and it it it's messy grief is really messy and you might be totally fine until you smell your mom's perfume that she used to wear, and then you're just taken right back. Or you see somebody wearing a necklace that your best friend always used to wear, or you see a dog of a certain species and it just brings you right back and it triggers you. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing is that we have a lot of these triggers for better or for worse. And so that can bring you right back to the the shock and numbness, which is sort of the first step of grief. You get that shock and numbness, you can go off, you can have a perfectly fine day, and then you get triggered again and you're right back to shock and numbness.
2: One of the things that has become so prevalent on social media platforms is support groups where you enter into a group. um, I've been in a few of them for various things and have left (laughs) most of them, if that tells you something about my personality. So I I can't imagine... um, that it would be positive all the time to be part of a grief group. What do people need to know if they think they would like to enter some type of online grief support group?
0: Maybe they would want to observe first before they dive in and start posting for themselves. And sometimes just watching other people grieve when you're grieving is helpful to know that you're not the only one experiencing this intense sadness and despair. Just knowing that other people are going through it is sometimes helpful. And then, you know, if if it looks like something fits with how you're thinking, then I'd say go ahead and join and post and, and do whatever. But don't feel like you have to post. You can just be part of the community without contributing to it. That's Dr. Josie DeGroote with Southern Illinois
2: University Edwardsville. I'm Megan Lynch with Julie Smith. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our media literacy project.